Hello and welcome to the Brand Nurture Podcast, the show that's all about expanding what's possible and building a brand and a life that you can't wait to wake up to. I'm your host, Emily Cecile, brand designer, marketing strategist, and here to encourage you to build a brand that allows you to share your passion while enabling you to live your life outside of it. Through marketing, branding, mindset and more, each week I'll be pulling back the curtain to provide sustainable strategies, inspiring insights and transformative tales to help you grow your brand, claim your dream life and realise that you are not alone in this journey. Grab a cup of coffee and join me as we explore what it takes to build a brand and a life that you love. This is the Brand Nurture Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Brand Nurture Podcast. I am here today with the fantastic Emma Tesla founder and CEO of 95 Media, a female-run digital marketing agency that she has in the last eight years grown to over half a million dollars. But as we all know, every journey is unique with twists and turns, and Emma's is no exception. Going from interior designer in New York to marketing agency owner is a hell of a resume, and I'm so excited to talk marketing strategy, entrepreneurship, and much more in today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So you have eight years of marketing experience and I would love for you, before we dive into that whole world, I would love for you to tell me a little bit more about your journey, what led you to starting 95 Media and just, yeah, your whole, your whole spiel. For sure. Yeah. So I was not someone who thought I would end up in marketing. That was honestly just never the goal. I didn't even know much about marketing, you know, at a younger age. And I actually went to school for interior design and I thought that would be my future. I loved it. I was obsessed with it. And then as, as things happen, while I was in school, I found digital marketing through an internship with a designer at the time who was you know, just excited to expand her business. But this was back in 2015 when not a lot of brands were on social, not a lot of businesses were really looking at social media as a viable marketing avenue. But the second I got on there to kind of learn and poke my way around to support her, I realized how this was really the future. And it was kind of crazy to me that other brands weren't necessarily seeing that and weren't going all in in the same way that she wanted to, which was a really smart move on her part. And so it got me really excited. And I'm someone who, when I see something coming, I really love just kind of going for it because jumping on a trend early is all, you know, that really can help you. And honestly, we kind of hit it at the right time in the industry. For the next few years after 2015, I kind of side hustled my way, took on some clients while I was working in New York City as an interior designer for several years. And then it really wasn't until COVID when every business was really forced to really reevaluate all of their marketing avenues. And, you know, no longer were they seeing people come into their brick and mortar. They couldn't do in-person events. They couldn't do in-person marketing. And they knew they needed to really go all in on their social media marketing and started taking it seriously for the first time. And so that was a really exciting year for us just to see 
brands finally take what we knew was really impactful seriously. And it was a really great, exciting time. I ended up leaving my corporate job in 2020 and going all in with 95 Media that year. And so it's been three years since then. It's been really exciting because at the core of everything we do, we're just really passionate about helping other businesses grow their brand and see real sales from their social media because there's a big difference between posting and thinking that that's enough and actually building community, bringing in sales and creating this online presence that's going to support the longevity of your business beyond just a single post. Yeah, it's such a common misaligned goal to like think that followers mean sales and that the focus should be like growth, which obviously we want to see growth on socials. But what we want to see is that those actually turn into sales and that actually move the line in your business. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. You know, there, there is a misalignment in goals and it's not often until you have someone come in and say, well, have you seen an increase in sales just because you gained 500 followers? Like did what you thought was going to happen actually occur because sometimes we just need to sit back and look at that reality and say, okay, well actually, yeah, like I've, I've gained 500 followers this year, but I am still really hustling for sales and most of my sales are still referral and they're not coming from social or whatever that might look like for you. And to start saying like, okay, well maybe what I wanted to happen isn't working. Let's try something new. Yeah, definitely. So I would love to quickly touch on this pivot. I mean, interior designer in New York City is quite a title. So I'd love to know a little bit more about when you kind of knew that it was your time to like pivot out of that industry and kind of what that transition looked like. It was something that I considered for a long time. You know, I really loved the job. I really loved, you know, the, the work, but at the same time, I knew I was really enjoying building 95 media more. And I think that's not really talked about a lot where, you know, you can love two things at the same time. And you can say like, I'm still passionate about both, but one is kind of winning out more than the other right now. Um, and so for me, I, I knew what I was building. I knew what I was creating with 95 Media. And it was really all about just figuring out when to take that leap because a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, we we side hustle for however long that looks like. For me, I side hustled for five years. I never paid myself during that time. All of that money really went straight back into the business to continue building, to build our team, to serve more clients, to build our systems, all of that. And That was a really impactful move at the same time because it allowed us to see the growth that we needed financially in order for me to quit my job and, you know, begin to pay myself, which is a needed piece of business when you have nothing else coming in. And so for me, when COVID hit, it really, it impacted the the interior design industry because of the tariffs and the delays and all of the things happening at that time. And so as I started to feel the impact in my corporate job, we also, while we were hit pretty heavy on the with 95 in the beginning of 2020, you know, a lot of businesses just didn't know what was going on. Everyone was pulling back. By the time summer hit, we were really gaining momentum and bringing in a lot of new clients. And so at that point, I just kind of sat down and said, okay, well, where do we need to be for me to feel comfortable? So it was not a 
out of the blue pivot. It was not a random decision. It was a very strategic planned out move. And I'm a big supporter of, you know, make big life changes and go for the things you're passionate about, but do it in a smart way. Do it in a way where you're setting yourself up for success. And for me, I sort I had a revenue number that I knew we needed to be hitting where I felt comfortable beginning to pay myself, knowing I could continue to pay the team, cover our expenses, still be profitable at the end of the day. And once we hit that for three months in a row, I said, okay, well, I have no other excuse. (laughs) I'm done with the excuses. We're just going to do it. And, you know, the dominoes fell in the way they should. And that was kind of what led me to that ultimate decision and really pivoting from one industry to a very different one. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said there about making big moves, but making them strategically. I think if you make the move too soon, then you're kind of living in that like feast or famine energy. And it's, really does show like if you your energy is completely different when you know that if you don't get a client then next month you can't afford like your bills or whatever to you know having the kind of the cushion to know like okay we I am going to still be okay but getting this client would be amazing but it's not the end of the world if I don't like those two energies are so completely different that I think it does really show in business especially when you're working with clients face to face like it just you know, business is as much about energy and it just, it really does show. So making sure that you're doing things strategically is, yeah, definitely a good advice. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, in business, it's always like, yeah, we always want more clients and we always want to bring in more and continue to grow the brand. But I completely agree with you when you approach it from a place of service and you say, you know, this is a service that I offer if that's the space you're in, or I offer this product that solves this problem. It is a completely different energy. And it also, I think, makes the sale easier because you're detached from the outcome versus when you're coming from a place of scarcity or, you know, that's not a bad thing either. People talk about scarcity as like this horrible thing, but scarcity could just be what you're saying. You know, I'm not able to pay my bill next month. Like I need to make the sale. It's much more difficult in my opinion, because you really do need that to result in yes, you need to, you need it to result in a sale. And so, you know, it's difficult to to say, oh, well, I'm not going to approach it from a place of scarcity if that really is where you're coming from. But as much as you can to align your energy with a place of service and a place of problem solving, I think is always the right move as much as possible. Yeah, no, definitely. You touched slightly on the like putting systems in place when you were just starting out. And I would love to talk about that a little bit. I love a system. So, I mean, you've managed to scale your agency to over half a million dollars, which is crazy and so impressive. And I would just love to know some of the early systems that you focused on that allowed you to scale the brand. For sure. So for us, we, you know, as we've grown our team, one issue that came up in the beginning was an inconsistency in results. It was an inconsistency in the way that we were delivering content. Since we are a social media management agency, we do all things from content creation, you know, growing a community online through engagement, looking at data, you know, email marketing, podcast production, like we have our hands in so many different avenues of building a brand's marketing that creating consistency was a really big focus, especially in the early days. And so systems allowed us to systematize and really make sure that everything we were doing was consistent in our output. So we, you know, there's so many different ways to look at systems and we have so many because I am a process girl <laughs> through and through, but uh, even creating something, if you're in, if, if you're in this phase of 
I want to just kind of start with systems and I want to just begin to build a team and have everyone do things in a similar way. Creating templates was really where I started. So that could be as simple as creating a template on Canva for a report that goes out every week. For us, we send weekly analytics reports. So we have a template. So it's not, okay, yeah, like, no, we these are the numbers we need to do. Just kind of figure out how you want to present them. That's not how we operate. So I would build out this template. I send it over to the team. I say, hey, do you have any feedback? Add, you know, let me know if there's anything we need to add or remove, or if I miss something here, like this should always be a collaborative effort. And then we finalize it and then we push it out to the rest of the team and everyone uses that system. That's a really granular example on a high level, something that I built out a few years in, it was, it was in 20. 21. So right after I went all in our team three X in that first year. So I was like, okay, we need to really double down on systems. Now I built out what we call a team dashboard. And it is essentially an online course for our team that houses how we do everything. Anything you need to know really lives there. So that's anything from how do you invoice me and get paid and how do, how does our billing work at all the way through to templates? Like I was just sharing or our weekly kind of workflow process. All of those are really important to creating a cohesive team and also building team culture, which is really, really important to me. We have a fully remote team. And so building team culture and building company culture can be really difficult to do as many businesses experience the past few years going remote. For us, we've just always been remote. So it was always a challenge and it was always something that was a big focus. So systems support us in building team culture as well. It's not just how do we create great output, but it's also how do we create great relationships and create, you know, bonding within the team when we're not sitting in an office together. So there's a lot of ways to approach systems, but my biggest recommendation would be to create systems that support you in creating great output, you know, supporting clients and having happy clients is the best way to keep them, retain them and get more referrals down the road. Yeah, definitely. I love that you touch on company culture and building it in a remote team. Like so many of the businesses in the industry I work with, most of it is remote because it is the most efficient way to get the best people for your team. It's just how it works. And I think 2020 taught so many businesses that, that it widened the pool of people that you can pick from. And that's what makes remote working so special in my opinion. But there are downfalls, like you said, is that it is much harder to build those relationships and that kind of team culture. And like really, you know, when you're speaking to someone face-to-face when versus a Zoom call, like a Zoom call is fantastic, but it will never be able to replicate, you know, in person. So I think- focusing on systems to build that as well is something I don't have before, which I find really interesting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, that is exactly why I hire remotely is so that we can tap into talent no matter where someone might live rather than just being contained to my local area, but it definitely presents its own challenges and it, it becomes very intentional. You know, when you work in an office, you grab lunch with your coworkers, you're chatting when you're getting your morning coffee with them. Like it's very organic. And when you're remote, it's extremely intentional. We have, you know, online 
office hours. We have strategy calls. We have team monthly meetings. It's like, you have to plan these into your calendar. Again, going back to our systems, these are recurring meetings for us because it's really important that we build those relationships and that company culture when otherwise it just simply wouldn't occur. And I get really great feedback from our team when we do that. And even, you know, asking for more of it because they're like, I really love our team. Like, I I just want to spend more time with them. And it's hard to do that unless it's really planned into the calendar. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I would love to move things a little bit more to the marketing side. And something that I'd seen you touch on was content buckets. So let's get a little bit more granular with marketing for a second and, you know, explain what that is, you know, a little bit more about making content creation easier for people, that whole world. Do you ever get the feeling that your brand might not be reaching its full potential? Or maybe something's feeling a little bit off and not connecting and you're not really sure why. Well, I've created a brand new freebie just for you. It's an in-depth brand PDF. And no, this isn't just another guide. It is a roadmap for you to pinpoint your strengths, uncover your hidden potential and map out the actionable step to take for your next big leap. This is the tool that I have consistently used to critically refine mine and my client's brand. And it is so useful to get that outside perspective. Grab your free copy at salecreativestudio forward slash brand audit and I will pop that link in the show notes for easy access. Dive in, gain some clarity and take that big next step. Yes, for sure. So the content buckets, when when we look at someone's marketing, we're always looking at how can we make sure that we're rotating through different facets of their brand. Oftentimes what happens is that when we come on board, we're working with a business whose founder maybe was managing, you know, all of the marketing up to this point, or they had an intern managing the marketing and there wasn't a ton of strategy integrated into what they were posting. It was, as I touched on in the beginning, really just kind of posting to get content up there, checking the box and moving on. And when we come in, we really do a deep dive into the brand as a whole. We want to understand what are all the offers? What are the long-term business goals? how do we support you in getting from A to B? And we begin by utilizing what we call the 95 media method, which is a four-part process that begins with your goals. So making sure that we have clarity on goals, building out a strategy, which is step number two, that helps you hit those goals. Number three is executing on that strategy, which is going towards the goal. And then number four is looking at the data. And that data is going to tell you everything you know, but most businesses don't look at data, which hurts me to my core because it is all the information that every social media platform is giving you for free. That's going to tell you what's working and what's not, what your community is loving and what they're not, and how to optimize the content that you're putting out there. So that data we utilize to then go back to the strategy, redo the strategy as needed, and then begin to execute again. So it's the cyclic process in the 95 media method. As we're building out the strategy though, part of that strategy is saying, what is the type of content we're going to create and how do we communicate that to make sure that we're rotating through not only different offers, because that's at a really kind of baseline level, but also the different ways we can communicate the different offers. So the three content buckets that are applicable to any business are educational, validating, and vulnerable content. So a lot of brands, especially 2020, 2021, educational content was really, really important. And a lot of brands got stuck in 
only educational content and forgot to do the other pieces. And what we're seeing this year, and I'm sure will continue as a trend going forward, is that the vulnerable and valid dating content are more important today because of the impact of TikTok. TikTok came in the scene. It changed the way that we want to consume content, the way we interact with content and our buying patterns as consumers. And it pushed to the forefront that really vulnerable content, the content that makes you feel like you have a friend on the other side of the screen. It makes you feel like you're a part of their daily lives. And that has since trickled down into all of the other platforms. So you might only be on Instagram and say, well, I don't really care what and what people are doing over on TikTok, but you have to, because it does impact the way that you market your brand on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, even Pinterest. So the three content buckets, the way that that comes through is you want to make sure that you are rotating through all three content buckets, especially if you're a brand and you're not uh, an influencer or a personal brand. You're someone who sells a product or a service. You definitely want to be rotating through all three. So educational is pretty self-explanatory. We're talking about three ways to X, Y, and Z, three mistakes to avoid in order to get your end goal. That's content that we all kind of understand and maybe are doing a little too much of still to this day because it's easy. It's kind of the, the content we can all pump out because it's what we all know to our core. But vulnerable content is the type of content where you're getting on and People get scared when I say the word vulnerable, but it's not that bad. It's not like I'm saying anyone needs to get on camera crying about something. No, it's really just sharing your journey. It's sharing the pieces of your life that are relatable to your audience. And that's really what vulnerable content does is it creates relatability and it says, I'm a real person. And at the end of the day, we're all hiring brands because of the people that represent them, the things that they stand for. And so that's really why a come with me video, get ready with me, a day in my life. These are all vulnerable pieces of content that are not super vulnerable when you think about it, but they do make a really big impact and they allow your brand to become relatable in a way that makes someone want to work with you rather than your competitor who maybe is just talking about their services online or just educating their audience. The last content bucket is validating, which goes further into storytelling specifically. Here, we're really saying, hey, I know that you're going through X, Y, and Z. I know that this is the problem that you're facing, and here's the solution to solve that and positioning your product service offer as that problem solver for your audience. But it's very deeply rooted in storytelling. It is a bit of vulnerable, kind of carries over into validating content, but at the end of the day, validating content is all about your audience. It's all about the person on the other side of the screen. I love that so much. And I something I you touched on that I have not heard before is, I mean, we all know that TikTok is, you know, trickling down. It changed. I mean, it changed Instagram in many ways, good or bad, depending what side you uh, are standing on. But I'd never heard someone talk about TikTok and its influence on Pinterest, which I would love for you to touch on ever so slightly. Pinterest never had video content prior to 2020. So you can, that just wasn't a thing. Like Pinterest was a photo platform. It really wanted you to post beautiful imagery. It was more of a inspiration platform. Now that's very different. And so now you can post short form video over on Pinterest. You can also post like carousel style posts over on Pinterest. But more than that, it, 
people are going to Pinterest now for some of that validating content in a way that we weren't before. You can create pins that lead back to your TikTok content if you want to, or you create a pin that leads to a blog, which is a pretty standard kind of avenue, customer journey, if you will. In that blog though, you may embed a TikTok or you may embed a couple of TikToks into that video or into that blog, excuse me. And so at the end of the day, it's really impacted why we go to social media. And that's really the core of it is that social media apps have changed in the way that consumers use them. So Pinterest, yes, it's still an inspiration platform, but you are probably going to Pinterest now for beauty products, which is a big reason why people use TikTok. And really at the core of it, TikTok changed the way that you use social media because it's now a search engine. So while we were kind of using social media as a search engine prior to 2020, it was up and coming. TikTok really changed that. And now when we go to social and TikTok in particular, we utilize it as search engines. So brides who are, you know, people who are engaged, getting married, oftentimes go to TikTok to find vendors for their wedding. You probably are going to Instagram to look up a restaurant before you go. I do this all the time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to a new restaurant. What are what are the girls wearing at this restaurant? I'm going to go to the tagged photos on Instagram and look at what other people are wearing at the restaurant, which is not something I'm going to find on Google or Yelp or anything like that. So I think really what TikTok has done more than anything is it changed the way we interact with the platforms and content specifically. And then of course, the type of content that you can now post and engage with, such as the video content over on Pinterest has made a very big impact as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. I am a big believer in Pinterest. It's like still this the biggest marketing platform for me. And I just find it fascinating to see different perspectives on the platform, which is primarily a search engine. So it doesn't really classify as like the traditional social media like the other ones maybe do. But seeing TikTok become so much more like Pinterest in the sense of being a search engine has been a fascinating journey. Like even I was a big like, TikTok no thank you vibe for a long time and like this year I got into it and yeah I'm a big search engine on TikTok person so it's fascinating to see that kind of change in behavior Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're touching on a really good point where, you know, Pinterest was a search engine before other social medias, other social media platforms were, and now that's only amplified. And I think they have more competition than ever, which is why they're rolling out new features, which is why they're, you know, building out new forms of content because they know they have to. But at the end of the day, I'm a huge fan of Pinterest as well, because its sole goal is to help you drive traffic to your website or anywhere that you're driving traffic to versus other platforms are really trying to keep you on the on the platform. So it's a different end goal for the platform itself, which is also something to keep in mind when you're considering which platforms do I want to be active on and really begin creating great content for. Yeah, that's definitely the reason that I find the most like ROI from it is that it is its goal is to help you rather than to help the platform itself, which yeah, has been interesting to see it's so funny because you think where you put your most energy in terms of marketing especially as I still run all of my own marketing and I know a lot of the clients that I work with are still at that point where they're not quite ready to outsource and they're kind of 
time input that people put into Instagram versus Pinterest. Like I'll do my Pinterest like two days every three months and then just leave it going. Whereas Instagram, I'm always thinking about like content to create for there. And it's much more time intensive. Yeah, it still doesn't have the kind of traffic ROI that you see from Pinterest. It's it's not something I'm going to stop doing. I think that they all have their place within the marketing wheel, but it is just fascinating. And for people that don't know about these kinds of things, it's just something that I think people should be aware of. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, every platform really takes a different energy output. And sometimes people will come to me and say, okay, well, what, which platform should I be on? thinking that it's like a hard and fast answer or that there's, you know, a definite answer for every business across the board. And I always think it kind of comes down to two goals, right? Like who is your audience and where are they most active? That's piece number one, you know, for you, obviously people are looking for inspiration when we look for kind of like design and fonts and colors and, you know, like really great branding assets. Pinterest is the number one place that we're going to go as a search engine rather than Instagram. Yes, but like not as much as Pinterest, which is obviously the impact that you're seeing on your brand as well. But the second piece of that is what is your content bandwidth? Because someone might come to me and say, I really want to be on TikTok. Everyone's telling me I need to be on TikTok. And if I say, okay, great. Well, do you have the content bandwidth or are you, do you have the budget to hire someone to support you with creating five videos a week to post on that platform? And the answer is no, then TikTok, no matter what you think is going to be the impact on your brand is not the right platform for you. Because if you can't keep up consistent content on each platform, it's not going to give you the ROI that you're really looking for. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult decision to make sometimes. And maybe it is just a movement of your energy from one platform to the other to see if you can make an impact, especially if you're saying, well, you know, I've been doing Instagram for a couple of years now. I'm not seeing an ROI. Maybe I put that energy towards TikTok for 90 days and see if I can drive some traffic there. So it's all a give and take, but I really, I agree with you. You know, when you're looking at what is the ROI on each platform, it's different energy outputs for each. And it doesn't make one better than the other. It's just understanding one is going to take more time and maybe not yield the same ROI, but it is important to be active on the platforms where your audience is engaging with content. Yeah. There's such a kind of process that when I'm talking to clients about marketing and I know that they're the person that's in charge of it, it's kind of that process of like, okay, so where are your clients? And where do you feel like you actually can show up consistently? Because I would much rather that you were on one consistently than like posting dribs and drabs kind of everywhere and it not, because that's not going to help anyone. Totally agree. I would love to continue this ROI conversation. I recently did a podcast episode talking about how marketing is arguably much more easy to track in terms of ROI than branding. Just because you have, like you said, you have the analytics from all the platforms. Branding is much more ethereal kind of thing. It's more of a concept. It's it's just much less tangible. And I would love to touch on like, how can people actually measure their ROI for their marketing? And just like we said, make the most of the time that they're putting in. That's a great question. We look at conversion analytics versus vanity analytics. And most people come to us looking only at vanity and that's fine. We just kind of always need someone to open our eyes to things. Vanity analytics are the ones that are, you know, my followers and how many likes did I get? Like this, this is all vanity because those 
numbers don't actually tell you if you made more sales or if you have more leads at the end of the day. So really something I I think is important to also bring into this conversation is that marketing is getting your brand in front of new eyes, increasing your brand reach, your brand exposure, and you can track those numbers. You can see how many impressions did I get? How many reach on this post did this, did this piece of content get? But once someone goes off the platform, that's a different number that we're looking at. And then that becomes sales. So there's often this crossroads where we like, you know, certain people like to say, okay, well, I didn't make five sales, even though we, you know, your, your marketing team might be driving traffic to a landing page that you designed and that's a sales page and you have all this great information. So we might say, yeah, you know, one of the conversion metrics that we tracked this week was we drove a hundred website clicks to your LinkedIn bio. How did that go for you? Did you make sales on that? Like what, tell us what happened. And they might say, what do you mean you drove a hundred people to my website? I didn't see a single lead come in. Like no one filled out the application. I didn't get a sale. So it's an important distinction to understand where your marketing team's goal is to drive people to the landing page for you and get people to that page. If they're not converting, it then becomes a conversion and a sales issue. And that's something to then have a conversation with your marketing team. Cause oftentimes we can provide insights into that and say, you know, well, when I look at the sales page, it's really not connected well to the way that we're marketing the brand in the way that you wanted us to, you know, because oftentimes we don't update sales pages as much as we think we do, but our marketing is consistently going out and it can grow with the brand and change with the brand. So that's one piece of the puzzle. But to answer the original question with ROI, conversion metrics are the really important ones to look at with marketing. This is where your marketing stats come in place. So these are your website clicks are extremely important. How many comments are you getting? So that's engagement. Are people feeling encouraged and enticed to actually leave a comment? Are they replying to your story on Instagram and starting DM conversations with you? Are they going to your profile? Because oftentimes what happens is say your reels goes viral. So you drive a lot of profile visits, but really what you want to happen from profile visits is that they convert to followers and then they convert to paying clients for you. So understanding that long game and that really full circle journey that you're looking for someone to go on is really important. And then also that distinction between your marketing and your sales and having conversations with the right people on your team or utilizing that as a collaborative conversation to have um, is also a key part of the puzzle here. Yeah. The conversation aspect, I think is the biggest point with it that should be the biggest focus within marketing right now. Like it used to be like, oh, I got this many likes on a post and realistically likes on a post mean very little now what you want to be looking for is like you said the conversations that actually drive sales rather than just passing glances are definitely where people should be focusing and I uh, was speaking to somebody the other day actually and we had the conversation about my slightly hot take on the topic is that if you don't yet have a website or landing page or freebie or something like that then I wouldn't recommend putting like time and effort into your content yet because that content isn't leading anyone on a customer journey to anywhere. And although it's great to be on the platform, 
it is wasted energy. I would always recommend that somebody has a website that people can have, even if it's literally just a landing page for somebody to put in their email address so that you're getting them onto your email list. If you are creating content and building followers, but you have nowhere for them to go, then you're much more building a social media following rather than building your business. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of free ways to create landing pages these days as well, where you don't need a full website from day one. And I, some people utilize that as like an excuse to not begin marketing. And I don't think that should be an excuse. You know, yes, you know, eventually have a website and have an online presence outside of social media because you don't own your social media audience. And I love what you said about getting people on your email list. That's always my biggest thing as well. Get, build your social media audience, but then get them off of social media, get them onto your email list because you own your email list. And there's so many free email list builders, you know, free trials, free starter plans, create a simple landing page. Even if you are utilizing something like Acuity or Calendly to get someone to book a call with you, you get emails from that as well. And so you can begin building an email list in the same way. But I totally agree with you. You really want to have an understanding of where you're sending people rather than just building a social media presence. But at the same time, don't utilize that as an excuse to not get started because a lot of brands will come to me and say, well, you know, we're we're totally redoing our branding. We're totally redoing our website. It's going to be done in six months and we simply cannot do anything until then. <laughs> I don't think that's the right avenue either. You know, kind of trickle in if you're going through a rebrand, trickle in the rebrand elements, build hype around that, and then do a hard launch when it's ready. But don't stop in the meantime. Just switch your landing pages, switch the way that you're utilizing your conversion funnel. And then in that way, you can continue building your brand presence, continue marketing the business while also up-leveling it in other ways. Yeah. Like you said, don't use it as an excuse. There are so many free or very low cost tools now that you can use to send people anywhere that you want them to go. That's just, but just that little bit of conversion and just getting them somewhere that's within your brand ecosystem rather than just another follower on social media. Exactly. Amazing. Well, before we wrap this up, I'd love to know if you have any specific tips for any aspiring brand owners or people looking to just grow their ran through intentional marketing rather than just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice is to be clear on the end goal, both for your marketing and also your brand. Often people get on social, brands get on social and they just begin posting and that's fine to get started. But if you're just posting and you don't really have an end goal, you don't have a clear understanding of what we've been talking about, that customer journey you want to send someone on, it's not going to be clear to the consumer either. So first have clarity on your end and then begin to translate that through your content so that your audience truly has an understanding of the CTA, your call to action on your content, and they can follow through on that action that you're looking to take. If it's not clear to you, it's definitely not clear to them. So begin creating content that is aligned with your goals and is built on strategy and your ROI, your output from that is going to look a lot different than it has in the past. Yeah, such good advice. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Where can people find out more about you, get in touch with you, all that kind of fun stuff? 
Definitely. So you can find myself and 95 media at our website, which is 95 media.co. I'm also super active over on Instagram. Our handle is 90.5.media, all spelled out. And we also have a podcast called Stop Scrolling, Start Scaling. We share lots of marketing tips over there and really just, you know, a bunch of ways to grow your business and continue scaling. So that's a great resource as well. Amazing. I will definitely be checking out the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to this podcast episode all the way to the end. I truly appreciate you being here. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to encourage you to leave a review as this helps us grow and reach more like-minded individuals. Plus, if you have feedback, episode ideas, or questions, or just like to connect further, please find me on Instagram at Cecile Creative Studio, shoot me a DM, and let me know you're listening. Until next time, friend, I'm cheering you on.